last Sunday we had Super Bowl Sunday, right? And I was at a Super Bowl party, which I'm guessing a lot of you were at, something like that. And, you know, the party I was at, there were, there were some of us who were rooting for the Chiefs because we were smart. And then there were some other people who were rooting for the Eagles. And then there were those people that were just kind of indifferent and never did pick a side. And, uh, you know, you have that luxury when you're watching a game. Unless maybe it's UNC Duke, and then I'm not sure you have that luxury. But, um, but there are things in life on which you simply have to choose a side, right? Is it going to be iPhone or Android? Huh? Is it KFC or Bojangles? Uh, yeah? Is it Jimmy Fallon or Stephen Colbert? Uh, is it pecan or is it pecan? See, I mean, it's got to be one or the other, right? You know, you have to make a choice. You have to choose a side. But even though we may have some strong opinions about some of those kind of things, we all know that, you know, you could really make either choice and you'll be all right. Uh, you may be wrong, but you'll be all right. But, you know, there are a few things that um, we face in life that we have to make a choice on. And it's absolutely critical which choice we make. Like if we choose one choice, it'll lead us to good things. If we choose another choice, it's gonna lead us to ruin. And so our choice is absolutely critical. And among those kinds of choices, there's one choice that stands out as the most critical choice of all. And today we're going to read and talk about the story of a man who made that choice. And not only did he make that choice with his own future on the line, but with all of humanity's future on the line. Now, in case you've been out of the loop, maybe haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we are in a series called Beyond Belief, in which we, we are really looking at the nature of faith. And we're looking at it from a remarkable chapter of scripture in the Bible from the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And this is a place that we find um, to be really an invitation to a life of faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is. It's, in, it's inviting us into a life of faith in which God opens up our eyes to see the invisible and to have a hope that is as certain as the present, a hope for the future, and to be able to live a life um, that is pleasing to God and has his favor on it. And so today, my message is springing from a single verse in this chapter, um, and, and in this particular verse puts the spotlight on a man you've probably heard of by the name of Noah. All right, so again, um, Hebrews chapter 11 is set up to kind of read like a walk through a hall of fame of people of faith. And today we're going to be spending some time looking at the display in verse 7. And this is what it says, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, because that's what faith does, opens our eyes to the invisible in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, 
he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. I don't know about you, but I find it curious that we don't talk about Noah very much. I mean, we, we've kind of consigned Noah to the preschool room in Sunday school, you know, where they, they show us the illustrations of the cute little animals in pairs on their way into the ark, and they, they teach us the Arky Arky song. Some of you know what I'm talking. Raise your hand if you know the Arky Arky song. Okay, we've got some of you who do. Um, and honestly, no, I'm not sure. By the way, that song has been going through my head all week long. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> once it gets in, it's hard to get out. Um, but I, I'm really not sure how a narrative about a near global extinction event became in our minds a children's story. Except that maybe, you know, doing that makes the story feel a little safer. Maybe it makes it feel a little cuter so that we don't have to really think too much about what actually went down in Genesis chapter 6. I think it's at least PG-13. But, but maybe, um, you know, you might be aware of the fact that there are actually, in addition to the biblical account of the flood, there are at least two other ancient accounts of, of a global flood that killed off most of humanity. And there's also a great deal of geological evidence supporting the reality of that event. But to get to the larger story that Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 points us to, we've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6. So I hope you have a Bible with you uh, or a Bible app on your phone and you can pull it out and join me in Genesis 6. That's where we're going to primarily be and bouncing back and forth between that and Hebrews 11 verse 7. So Hebrews, I mean, rather Genesis chapter six, verse five says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Sounds kind of like a good book or movie title, doesn't it? Only evil all the time. And yet that's a description of the condition of humanity during the era of Noah. That's a sad commentary, don't you think? Just try to imagine a world full of nothing but hatred and violence and malice and greed and lust. Imagine a world where, where people would be at each other's throats just trying to, to grab more for themselves where we would devalue people because of the color of their skin or because of their economic status. Imagine a, a world where we would treat each other like toys to be played with for our own enjoyment, our own amusement, our own pleasure. Imagine a world where might makes right and where, where sexually anything goes. It's really not too hard to imagine, is it? And it makes me wonder what God would say about humanity today. How would he describe it? I, I don't think it could be any clearer that God and the world are not on the same page. Would you agree? God and the world are not on the same page. They've never been on the same page and they never will be, at least until Jesus returns. 
So, so God has made us in his image and he has given us this, this free will that gives us the capacity to choose love, to choose to do all kinds of good in the world. But that same free will also gives us the capacity to choose to hate and to do all kinds of evil in the world. And so when God looked down at his world during Noah's time, he saw that evil was everywhere and in everyone. And it wasn't only present, it was pervasive. And even the things that they dreamed of, even the things that they imagined, the writer says, were just leading them further into even more and more depraved kinds of things. And so verse six says, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was what? His heart was what? Deeply troubled, right? Guess what? This is the very first time in scripture that God's heart is mentioned. And the very first time that God's heart is mentioned, it is said that his heart was broken. And the reason God's heart is broken is because the human heart is fallen. And sin is something that is is breaking God's heart something that he knew in advance was going to happen, right? He, it's not like God was surprised by the evil of humanity. It's not like he hadn't foreseen it, but, but when it became reality, that the pain in God's heart was overwhelming. So not only is this the first time in scripture that God's heart is mentioned, it's also the first time and one of the very few times in scripture that God is described as regretting something that he had done. And so sin is something that, that breaks his heart. And the reason it breaks his heart is because it breaks us. It breaks us at the very core. And it mars his image in us so much that, that God begins to question whether it was even the right decision to make us in the first place. Verse 7. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And that, that is not a children's story. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I what? I regret that I made them. See, sin is something that just can't be ignored, at least not by God. See, we can ignore sin. We can laugh at sin. We we can minimize sin. We, we We can even relish sin. But in God's heart, Sin is something that has to be dealt with. And it has to be dealt with sometimes even with the most extreme kinds of measures. I mean, what could be more extreme? God decides to wipe out humanity and start over. Why? Because of sin, the world is moving towards destruction. It's it's headed towards destruction. And you know what? History tends to repeat itself, right? And what we know is that the world that we know today is also on its way towards destruction again. Um, Peter wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, by these waters, referring to the, the flood waters of Noah's time, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and what? Destruction of the ungodly. So 
destruction is coming again to the world. But up to this moment in time, this moment was darkest, the darkest moment of all for humanity. This was humanity's darkest hour right here. And, and unfortunately for the animals, God decides to take them out too, which doesn't seem fair, does it? But you know what? God made it all for us, including the animals. And, and sin never affects just us. Our sin also has these ripple effects that extend out much further than we sometimes imagine. See, remember in the beginning that nature was cursed because of human sin, Genesis chapter 3. And here in Noah's day, nature will be destroyed because of human sin. Sin has wide-reaching effects. It's a pretty bleak picture. And some of you are like, man, why did I come to church today? Verse 8. But Noah found what? Favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word but is extremely welcome in this story, don't you think? I mean, because just when the, the story of humanity sounds like it is reaching its end, it's coming to its close, like the, the curtain is being drawn, the last chapter is being written, there's a ray of hope. All is not lost. And even in the middle of this story of judgment, God's grace surfaces and, and rises up. And just like Abel and Enoch that we talked about last week, Noah found favor with God. And there's a, a going back to, to verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11, again, he says, by faith, by his faith, that is Noah's faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the what? The righteousness that is in keeping with faith. All right, so again, it was Noah's faith that, that brought God's favor. The fact that Noah trusted God. And there's a direct connection between his faith and this righteousness that characterized his life, the writer says. Going back to Genesis 6, verse 9 says, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a what? A righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. So Noah's faith moved him to make a radical choice with his life. And that choice was that he chose to stand with God and to stand out from the world. Noah decided to stand with God and out from the world. See, the writer calls him blameless. He says he was blameless among the people of his time. You know what? That doesn't mean that no one ever sinned. What it means is that he stood out. It means that he stood apart. Like he wasn't going along with what everybody else was doing. He wasn't going where they were going. See, you will either choose the kind of character that you're going to have or the world will choose it for you. One or the other. But if your convictions are, are like wet clay that just kind of keep getting shaped and reshaped by, by the voices around you, by whoever is lobbying the loudest in the court of public opinion, then you are standing in quicksand. In fact, you go on in verse 11 and 12, it says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had what? Corrupted their ways. And can I just say, I, I, I don't think 
that much has changed. Now, people are still people. And the world still moves away from God and towards its own destruction. And faith is our only lifeline. See, faith prompts us to choose God over the world. That's what Noah did, and that's what faith will prompt you and me to do. If if we're going to live by faith, we're going to choose God over the world. And choosing God over the world means that we've got to take righteousness seriously. And I say that because, you know, if, if you don't have faith, like if you're not a person who believes what God has said, then righteousness is of little concern to you, like probably no concern. I mean, why would it be? I mean, one person's moral code is as good as another's. They're both equally subjective. They're both just based on a person's subjective feelings. And they really can't enforce them on anybody else or probably shouldn't. But, but what if our creator has given us his code? See, what, what if God himself has, has created us as moral beings If you believe that, then then wouldn't it make sense that that God, as he creates us as moral beings, would also give us the content of that code, that moral code? And doesn't it stand to reason that that moral code would be designed to actually lead us into and guide us towards the, the kind of life that God actually created us to live? See, if you have faith, righteousness should matter to you because Righteousness means being right with God and doing right by people. That's a pretty good working definition of righteousness. Being right with God, doing right by people. The world's code is be your own God and do what you want with people. Now, I I know that the world talks a good game about treating other people fairly and rightly and justly. The world talks a good game, but you know, the more you look at it, the more you see how things play out, it's, it, it's really, at the end of the day, so self-serving that all that talk is just self-serving. You know, but when you get down beneath the layers and all the things that we try to, to put up there to make it, make it look good, human motivations are ultimately self-serving. We take what we want. The world tells us, do what you, whatever will make you happy. And so we decide what it is that'll make us happy. And then we go and we take it from wherever and whoever we have to take it from. And that's, that's the way the world works. And, and, and it's much too late by the time we realize that doing that doesn't make us happy. But faith in God gives us a different perspective. See, faith in God actually prompts us to care about being right with God and to care about doing right by people. And it forces us to choose sides. There's there's no straddling the fence here. You you can't just be in the middle. You've got to be on one side or you've got to be on the other side. You've got to choose. If you're either going the world's way towards the world's end or you're going God's way towards God's ends. But you got to choose. And that's the decision that Noah was faced with. He would either go down with everybody else or he would stand alone with his family and God and choose to go God's way. And by faith, he made the right decision. So verse 13 
in Genesis 6, uh, God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And then he goes on to give some more specs for what this ark should look like. And then in verse 17, he says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. So God was gonna wash the whole world clean and he was gonna start over. He's gonna start over with a tiny remnant of what was left over from before, Noah's family and those animals that would be with him on the ark. So, so really, the flood story is ultimately a redemption story. Yes, I mean, there, there is so much judgment happening in this story, but there's also God's desire to redeem. There's, there's God's desire to save. There's, there's God's desire to, to make a fresh beginning out of the mess that people had made. And his plan was to scrap the past with all of humanity's failures in it and to move forward into a new and better future. And he chose one man, Noah, and his family to be the start of that new future. What an amazing calling that would be. Just because of, of Noah's faith and because of his commitment to righteousness, he was actually able to be used by God to save the human race from extinction and to be the start of a new future. And verse 22 says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So Noah demonstrated his faith by acting on what God had said. He built the ark. And, and when the project was finally complete and God told him to go ahead, it was time to board the ark and bring the animals into the ark. Again, chapter seven and verse five says, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. I think that sometimes we get a little confused about faith, what it means. I think, I think some of us think that, that faith is, is, is like basically us telling God what we think he should do. And then if we have enough faith, he'll do it. It's us deciding what, what we want and, and, and then us believing enough that God will do it. And if we believe enough that he'll do what we want. But, but faith is, and, and yeah, sure, God absolutely calls us to make requests of him and he asks us to trust him, to have a generous heart towards us. But you know what? Faith is much more about listening to God and what God is saying and then being responsive to whatever God has told us to do. That's, that's much more the way faith actually plays out in life. Noah by faith, did what God commanded him to do. And what a choice. What a choice it was for him. I mean, it's not like he could make that choice and people not notice, right? Any of you have a neighbor that ever started a big home construction project? 
You know, maybe, maybe they decide to put in a deck or put in a garden or put in a chicken coop or something like that. You know, what happens? Like everybody in the neighborhood is checking it out, like trying to figure out what in the world are they doing, right? What's going on over there? What are they building? And everybody's looking at it. And what do you think Noah's neighbors thought? <laughs> I bet none of your neighbors ever built a ship in their backyard. I mean, the ark that he built was the length of one and a half football fields. It was 73 feet wide and 44 feet high. And with its three decks had an approximate 95,700 square feet of floor space. I mean, that's hard to miss, don't you think? And, and what do you suppose he said when the neighbors asked him why he was building a ship in his backyard? I mean, it's not like he could say he was taking his sons on a fishing trip, right? <laughs> and so all those years that the ark was under construction, its very presence was sending a message to everybody around Noah that Noah was not one of them and that he thought all of them were going down. Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he what? He condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Or in what sense did Noah condemn the world? Have you ever noticed when you're with a group of people and they're doing something that they know that they probably shouldn't be doing, that if you choose not to participate, they don't want you around. Like, you know, if, if you're with a group of people, they're all getting high and you're not getting high. Like, what are they going to say to you? They, they're they're going to pressure you to get high, aren't they? Not that I've had this experience recently, just so you know. <laughs> but I've had that experience before, long time ago. I know what that was like. You know how it goes. Why? The group doesn't want you to stand out and choose better. They want you to blend in and go along, right? And so when you, why do they not want you around? Because your choice makes them feel condemned. Your choice not to go with them in what they're doing makes them feel like you're condemning them. And they'll say stuff to you like, like what, what, do you think you're better than us? You see, good choices expose bad choices for what they are. And that's what happened with Noah. His good choices were, were making it just such a stark contrast between what he was choosing and what the people around him were choosing. And so they felt condemned and they didn't like it. See, if you choose faith, if you opt to go with God, see, I would love to stand here and tell you today, if you choose to be a person of faith, everything is going to go awesome for you. Everything is going to go good in your life. You're going to get that job you want. You're going to, you're going to, get, you're going to land that person you want as your spouse. You're, you're going to be healthy your whole life. You're going to be rich. You're going to be famous. You're going to be a success at everything you do. Your kids are going to grow up perfect. You know, I mean, I'd love to stand here and tell you that, but I'd be a liar. That's not the way faith works. If you choose to be a person of faith, if you choose to opt to go with God instead of to go with the world, it's gonna alienate you from some people. 
There's gonna be people around you that are going to push you away from them. And it really doesn't matter how kind you are, doesn't matter how loving you are, doesn't matter how accepting you are, they won't be accepting of you. Because your choice to follow God makes them feel condemned. And they're not gonna want you around. They're gonna see your life and your choices as a testimony against theirs. The people of Noah's day mocked him for building that ark. They resented his life of faith and righteousness. But in the end, his choices were vindicated and their choices ended in death and destruction. You got to choose your side. So my encouragement, my prayer for you is that you will choose to go with God that you will choose to stand with God. If you want to be a person of faith, not everything is going to go great in your life, but you know what? It sure is going to end great. And not only is it going to end great, but even while you're going through the hard things that you will go through in this life, you're going to have his love and his, his grace and his kindness and his encouragement. You're going to have his promises to hold on to. You're going to have that hope we talked about that is unshakable that makes the future and its glory as real as the present in its difficulties. But you gotta choose where you're gonna stand. If you wanna be a person of faith, you're gonna be a person who, who has an interest in living a righteous life. If you wanna be a person who has God's favor on your life, at some point you're gonna have to decide, this is where I stand. This is who I am. And it doesn't matter to me if my family and my friends come with me, this is where I stand. And even if my peers sometimes make me feel alienated and alone, this is where I stand. Even if the world goes the opposite way, this is where I stand. I choose to stand with God. I choose him as he has chosen me. And I'm gonna live a life of faith doing what God has told me to do. But I wanna say to you that no matter what choices you've made in the past, you know, even, even if the world has lured you onto its path towards destruction, just like Noah you can choose to leave the mess of the past behind and move forward with God into a new and better future. 